Acts uh, chapter 17, from verse 16 to 34. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogues with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicureans and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to Oregonus, saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now the Athenians and their foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of Eurobicus, said to the men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along, I observe the objects of your worship. I found also an altar with this description to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face, live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling place that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards, toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your poets said, we indeed, we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of, of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again. So Paul, so Paul went out minutes, but some of the men joined him and believed. Among, among whom also were Dionys and Arubica and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Thanks so much, uh, Ethan, uh, for that. Uh, it'd be really good if you keep your Bible open here at Acts 17. Uh, for anybody who's new, uh, we are making our way through this book of Acts, uh, this book of the going work of Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit through the witness of the church. And we're actually going to spend, the plan is to spend this week and next Sunday in this passage. Uh, it's a really significant one in the, the, the book as a whole. Uh, and particularly today, we're actually going to just focus on the first few verses uh, that we have there. Um, hopefully with the email, you've got a sermon outline for today, discussions, uh, maybe help direct some thinking afterwards or uh, chat in your growth group or in your family. Uh, for younger people, there is a fuller outline with some questions and activity on the back there to do um, as well. 
Now, as many of you know or are quite aware, I really enjoy being a tourist. Um, I love exploring new places and meeting new people, and particularly meeting people from different cultures. I enjoy traveling around this country, um, and I have this kind of desire to see as much of the world as possible, although for a number, lots of reasons that won't happen. But being a tourist is kind of easy. You simply look, you observe, you enjoy, you take in, um, and then you go home. Uh, you go home to what is comfortable and safe and familiar. And the tourist destination, well, it, it can make quite an impression on you, but you don't really have an impact on it. Now, I wonder sometimes whether as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we can adopt a tourist mentality with this life and with this world. We are simply passing through this life, observing it, interacting a little with it, enjoying it, but ultimately we feel pretty safe in the fact that we have another home. We have an eternal home, a safe place with Christ, and even here and now, we have a church home that is comfortable and easy with whom we can share our tourist experiences. And as tourists in this world, the world may have an impact on us, but we might have very little impact on it. Well, this morning we're going to challenge that idea a little bit because we are going to have a look at Paul's visit, his first visit to the city of Athens. Now, I've, I've had an opportunity to go to Athens, um, but I was there very much as a tourist. And Tracy and I, we did all of the usual tourist things, including being scammed by a very clever taxi driver. But Paul is not there as a tourist. Sure, he, he sees some of the main sites. Uh, he sees the temples and the statues and the Areopagus and places of, of note. But it's not simply to observe, because he is there as God's ambassador. He is there as God's spokesperson, and that shapes what he observes and how he responds. Now, Paul has come to Athens uh, having been dropped off there by some of the Bereans. You remember where we were last week in Thessalonica and then in Berea, and things got pretty hot in Berea. He left Timothy and Silas there to continue on the work, but some of the Bereans accompanied him down to Athens. They dropped him off, and he was left there alone, sending instruction that, that Timothy and Silas should join him as quickly. So Paul is alone here in the city, and it is a very significant place. It was the head of the Greek Empire, uh, which had dominated the world at the time, uh, a few centuries earlier. And while that power has waned and, and Rome has taken over, it still remains a significant place for two reasons in, in particular. The first one is because it is still considered the seat of so much thought in the world. It was a place from which the philosophies of, of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle had come. And these philosophies were still very much shaping the world at the time 
and in many ways, they still shape the world today. And Paul is going to interact with some of these in later verses, particularly we read about the Epicureans and the Stoics, and we'll look a little bit more at them next week. But secondly, it is noted as a city that is full of idols. One of the writers at the time commented that there were more gods in Athens than there were in the rest of the country. And another commentator, uh, sort of tongue-in-cheek, said that it was easier to find in Athens a god than it was to find a man. It's a city full of shrines and temples and statues and altars made of all sorts of materials, honoring and worshiping all sorts of God. And so as Paul walks around, Luke tells us that Paul sees this. He sees a city that was full of idols. And that word full, it really carries a kind of quite a deep word. It's kind of almost dark. It was a city swamped by idols. It was a city under idols. It carries this idea that this city is a dark place because it is under the power, under the influence, not of the living God, the true God, but of dark forces. It is a city where people are worshipping, honouring, trusting, giving themselves to things that are not the true God, but things that are made by human imagination and by the human mind. Now, when Paul starts speaking to them, he, he acknowledges that completely, doesn't he? He acknowledges that you're, you're very religious. I see that you have all sorts of gods and, and all sorts of things that you are worshipping. Now, when I was uh, younger, quite a bit younger, uh, I bought this quite old, um, really cheap car. Uh, I was a student at the time, and I, I didn't have a lot of money. Uh, and I didn't have a lot of experience in buying secondhand cars, but this car, it, it looked quite good. I, I took it for a trest drive, and it seemed to drive okay. It didn't have a roadworthy, but I thought, well, we can get one of them uh, when, we get, when we get round to it. But when I took this car home, I, I started to have a little bit of a closer look at the vehicle. So I had to poke around and I discovered, much to my horror, that it was a car under some thin layers of paint and, well, what felt like paper, um, that was full of rust. And in my horror, I, I found that this car that I had bought was actually crumbling as I drove it. Now, I wonder sometimes, as Christian tourists in this world, if we are tempted to simply look at things that are on the surface. I know that this is something that I do. I wonder if there's something that we all do. We look at all the nice things, and there are nice things, because it is a world created by God. But we forget, or we don't see, that our world, God's world, is in fact a world that is full of rust. It's falling apart. And it's falling apart because it is swamped by idols. Now, in some cultures, this might be more obvious. You travel to certain parts of the world, and you see this literally on every street corner. An idol, a, a statue, a, a temple, a, a shrine. That's obvious. 
but it's actually everywhere. It's in our country, it's in our city, and it's in our neighbourhood. Because everywhere we go, there are people that are honouring and worshipping and trusting and giving themselves to things that are not the true God. That are things that are made by human hands or in human imagination, things that have no power to save. People might trust in their own goodness, thinking that that might get them through life and it might get them through whatever afterlife that is. People find security in their money or might find their hope in their job or their friendships. People find their peace in their status, the amount of friends that they have and what those friends think of them. People look for their ultimate purpose in their families or in their marriage or in their relationships. People are creating their own identity with, with what they dress or their sexuality or their job that they do. We live in a world that is swamped by idols. Idols that offer false hope, that don't save, that offer limited and temporary peace and joy and a distorted sense of purpose. So how do we respond to this? When we see this, what should we do? How does Paul respond? Now, when we go through life as a tourist, we see this simply as a curiosity. We might highlight some of the similarities and differences between us and other people. Uh, we take note of the commonalities between us and, and everybody else, and we, we notice also the vast differences. We might even feel a little sad for people that they don't have the same hope that we do. But I want to notice how Paul responds here because it's significant. Look at verse 16 and look at what it says. It says, while he was waiting and he sees this thing, he says, his spirit was provoked within him. This made him greatly distressed. Other translations have the words roused to anger. Not a, not a sudden outburst of anger, but a continued state of, of grief and concern. Now, the best way to understand what's going on here for Paul is to realize that the word used here for provoked is a word that was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. At the time, there was this translation that's called the Septuagint. Uh, it is a, a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And this word for provoked was used there commonly. And it was used to describe God's response to the idolatry of his people. And so in, in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 7, we read, remember and do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness. And what's it talking about? It's talking about the golden calf that they set up to worship in place of God. Isaiah chapter 65, verse 3 says, a people, you are a people, who provoked me to my face continually, sacrificing in gardens and making offerings on bricks. God is provoked when his people worship things that are not him. 
They worship things that are created rather than the creator. And now this word is being used of Paul's reaction and his reaction not just to idolatry in Israel, but to the idolatry that exists throughout the world. Paul is provoked to anger in the same way. It is jealousy for the name of God, that the glory that is due to God is given to him and not given to another, that God alone is rightly recognized and is honored and worshiped as the God and the king of everything that there is. Now, it's not that Paul is angry at people or he pities them. It's not even that his first concern is for their eternal destiny, although that's going to come up. It is concern for the glory of God, that the God who created us, who loves us, who saves us, that he alone is worshipped and honoured. Now, this is then going to shape the message that Paul proclaims in the Areopagus. And we're going to spend more time there next Sunday, and we're going to unpack this and, and look at it as, as a template for, for sharing the gospel in a, in a society that does not know God. But, but notice how it goes. Paul reminds, tells them that there is a God who created everything. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in a temple, and he does not need people to bring him their offerings. He is the one who gives life to everyone and everything. He is the father of nations, and he wants people to seek him. He doesn't need their worship, but he is owed it. And there is a time coming a time of judgment when he will hold people to account because he alone is deserving of all glory and honor and praise and love and trust and submission. And when I bought my cheap car uh, and I realized what it was, I felt a little bit ripped off. Uh, I, I I probably shouldn't have, uh, considering what I paid for it. I probably got what I paid for. And considering that I you know, should have done my homework before I bought it, I, I probably got what I deserved. But we do feel ripped off at times, don't we? When we don't think we, we get what we're owed, what we've paid for, what we're, what we're worth, whether it's respect or acknowledgement or, or money. But yet every single moment, the Lord God who created heaven and earth, our God, does not get what he has deserved and is owed. Every day, his world lives in rebellion. And people created by him and in his image run after things that are false and worthless. And that should concern us. Our hearts should desire that God gets the glory that is due to him. In our own lives, this should be of concern for us. 
It should grieve us when God does not take first place in our lives. It should grieve us when we sin against the God who made us and who loves us and who saves us, not just because of how it makes us feel and not just because we know that we are doing damage to ourselves and other people, because we fail to give God the honour and the glory in our lives. This should be a concern when we wrestle and we, we, we struggle with sin. When we face difficulties in relationships, this should concern us as we go about our work that God gets from our lives what he deserves. And not only from our own lives, this should concern us in our world. We are not just tourists. We are not just impassionately passing by observing others and how they live their lives. We are not just observing a curious world in which there are differences. Every day we observe and we interact with a world that does not recognize and honor the one true King and Lord of heaven and earth. People all around are bowing down to what is false, and hopeless and worthless. People are trusting in things which did not create them and do not deserve that trust. People are living for things that will not fulfill. People are paying homage to money and leisure and ease and prestige. Our world is not giving glory to the living God. It is robbing him of the glory due his name. Now, if that was Paul's first reaction then, to be provoked in his spirit, then we need to have a look at what he does next. Because verse 17 starts with the word, so. Because he saw this and because he, he experiences, he felt this, so, and it, it's quite a strong so, it's, it's more like a, a therefore. Therefore, he reasoned. Now, remember back to last week. It's the same word that we looked at last week about what Paul did in the synagogue with the Thessalonians. He reasoned with them from the scriptures. Notice how he responds here. Not with anger, not with despair, not with calling down a rain of fire. He responds with the good news of Jesus. Why? Well, this is how God has responded to the idolatry of his world. This is how God has responded to a world that is throwing things back in his face. He's responded with good news of a saviour. With Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. And what has he come to do? He has come to glorify the Father by drawing people to himself. What's his way of glorifying the Father? It's the way of the cross. It's the way of suffering and dying. It's the way of taking on the punishment for the false worship and the idolatry of his people so that they might be forgiven and returned to God. So that people like you and me and our people in our neighborhoods can be returned to the living God. 
That's God's answer to a world swamped by idols that rob him of his glory. It is the good news of Jesus. And that is where Paul goes. Therefore, or so, he reasoned with them. And notice there's three layers of his reasoning that, 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 Paul, that Luke records for us. He does it in the synagogue. And we, we looked at that last week a, a little bit. Luke doesn't record everything that happened there, but we know that he did it. Then he reasoned also with them in the marketplace. This is the place where people are mingling and gathering. It's social, it's political, it's shopping, of course, as well. He reasoned with people there. And then he gets an opportunity to reason at the Areopagus, the seat of thought, of philosophy. <clears throat> and again, he gets to share the good news. Now, as I said, we're going to focus more on that next week. But as we notice, as we wrap up today, let me notice just a couple of things uh, that has happened here. Firstly, this is motivated by a Godward desire. It is motivated by a desire that God is glorified in his, in his world, that people honor and serve the living God. Now, there are many reasons maybe why we might engage in missions and we might share our faith with others. We do this, of course, out of obedience because Jesus commands us, doesn't he, to, to go and make disciples of all the nations. He commands us to, to be his witness. So we do it out of obedience. We do it out of love for people as well and out of concern for them. We do it because we are concerned about their, their lot in this life and most particularly their lot in the next life. We're concerned that they might spend eternity without the God who created them. But the highest concern of all, the highest reason, the highest motivation is actually the honor of the Lord Jesus Christ and the glory of God. We want to see his name lifted up. His name being praised on the lips of people and the lives of people. He's given more of what he's due and more of what he's owed. Henry Martin was a missionary uh, to India, sorry, and then to Persia. Uh, a little over 200 years ago, he, he ministered mostly amongst Muslim people. Uh, he was a faithful missionary and a very hard worker um, who ultimately died of an illness resulted resulting from his missionary endeavors at quite a young age. But Henry Martin saw almost zero conversions uh, throughout his missionary life. Um, he labored for very little obvious reward. So what kept them going? Well, it was a desire for God's glory. He wrote this, he, he wrote, I could not endure existence if Jesus was not glorified. It would be hell to me if he were always to be dishonored. A little uh, another time he wrote, I have rightfully no other business each day but to do God's work as his servant, constantly regarding his pleasure. May I have grace to live above every human motive, simply with God and to God. What drives us to share the good news of Jesus with others? Because it is not 
easy. And maybe like Henry Martin, we see very little fruit from our labors and we are mocked and ridiculed for doing it. But we do it because we desire to see God honored and glorified in his world. To see a world full of idols come into the freedom of Jesus Christ. To be able to submit to the God who created them, who owns them, who brings them into his freedom. Second thing I want to notice here, and this is where we'll wrap up, that is a response then of sharing God's word. Luke Ruse is the same word that he, that he used in the passage that we looked at last week. He reasoned with them. He reasoned with them. He opened up God's word. Why is that? Because it is God's word that has the power to restore God's glory and his honor. It has the power to transform lives from the worship of idols, from the worship to the living God. That word works in our own lives. It takes our minds off the things of this world and our hearts off the things that we long, we long to love in this life. And it points us to and it gives us to the wonder and the beauty and the glory of our Savior Jesus. It reminds us how wonderful he is, how deserving he is of our praise and our worship. As the power to transform stubborn and rebellion hearts, our own and the lives of people around us. Therefore, it's his word that we proclaim motivated by the glory of God so that people might come to know him and love him and to serve him. Let's pray together, shall we? Almighty God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have been included in Christ and included in your kingdom. We recognize, Lord, that we we are those people who were swamped by idols, whose heart everything else, who, who wanted to go our own way. But Lord God, in your grace and your mercy, you drew us back and you forgave us. You laid our sin and our guilt on Jesus so that we might be forgiven and what we might go free. This morning, Lord God, we acknowledge you as the one who is worthy of all praise and honor and glory. And we ask, Lord God, that in your might and in your power, you would work for that end in us and through us. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.